I do want to greet you in the name of Jesus this evening. The Lord of the church, the one that disciplines the disciple. And it's interesting that discipline and disciple comes from the Greek saying or the same root word. I don't know what you're expecting this weekend, but I suspect that you might get disciplined. Are we okay with that? Those verses that Brother Jonathan read, my son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord because God considers you something valuable and he wants to make you better. That's why he does. So I trust that we're open to what the Lord has for us, for me, that I'm open. As we sit at the feet of Jesus and we learn of him. <clears throat> Just looking at a few words in our by, by term of definition, the, the umbrella topic, the blessing of a disciplined church. You've already we've already looked at the the word discipline a little. Just a few definitions for us to consider. The word discipline could mean control gained by enforcing obedience or, or order. And we don't like that word because that kind of brings some brings the will into play and I'm forced to do something I don't want to do. We don't like that connotation, but that's one of the definitions. One that maybe is a little bit more our flavor, orderly or prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior. And so we have our rules and discipline. It's it's a prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior. Self-control. You ever think of self-control as, as a definition or part of the definition of discipline? Well, we'll look at self-control a little bit later. This thing of discipline or self-discipline, self-control, is something that God expects us as Christians to employ. Another definition Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. And that's a little bit kind of what our topics this evening or this weekend are about. Tonight is lifestyle. Tomorrow morning it has to do with our brotherhood agreement. And then tomorrow evening is just kind of an extension of that and that's a unified congregation, a unified church. But all of that has to do with our thinking. Every one of these has to do with our thinking. And I want to illustrate something on the board a little later on. So the word discipline carries a teacher-student concept. We have a someone that is there, been there and done that, and someone that's coming along and learning. And you have the teacher-student 
concept. So the child of God must accept the discipline factor. We cannot be a Christian if we are not willing to accept discipline. We cannot be a Christian if we are not willing to accept discipline. By the way, what did we just read in Hebrews 12? Very clear. Very clear. And by the way, Brother Jonathan, I had Hebrews 12 in my notes to read here in, the, in kind of the the, the uh, preamble to the message. So don't feel bad. Um, it fit right in. Fit right in. And by the way, if you're still at Hebrews 12, <clears throat> verse 13, that's one more verse, or 12 and 13, there's, there's two more verses that I, I want us to consider in this thing of discipline. Discipline is comes in various ways, various forms. It could be it could be something that the Holy Spirit comes to us in our personal time with him on a daily basis. We read something in scripture, it comes out and and pricks in our hearts. And maybe the Holy Spirit touches on something that needs to be taken care of. That's part of discipline. And that's some of those things can be taken care of out of sight. You know, nobody really knows about it. It's, it's adjusted between me and God, and it's taken care of, and it's it's okay. But then there's other disciplines that become more more evident. Um, financial reverses, accidents, cancer, health issues. Those those we can't hide. At least a lot of those we can't. But I believe that God uses these experiences for his purposes and to perfect us and to bring us into the vessel that brings him glory and honor. Are they fun? No, they're not fun. But verse 12 and 13, right after verse 11, we see the we afterwards yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Discipline from the Lord sometimes can be rather earth-shattering or earth-shaking. And... And we emotionally, it affects us sometimes emotionally and, and adversely so sometimes. To the point where, a little bit like what we have here, our hands, our, our hands hang down, our knees get feeble, and, and we don't feel like going on because it looks tough and it looks beyond me. I think verses 12 and 13 is calling to the rest of us that aren't facing that particular discipline. We need to get behind some of these people that are, that are suffering these disciplines and, and encourage them, pray for them, and, and let them know that we care and maybe even suffer with them. And we're in this together. That's the beauty of the congregation. Now, Tonight, it's more, I, I'd like for us to think about tonight's message on an individual basis or an individual scale. Tomorrow, we'll deal with more of the, 
the congregational level. <clears throat> and so that's that's that that could be one of the blessings. I I'm kind of throwing that early here, but that is one of the blessings of, of a brotherhood, of being part of a brotherhood. When those disciplines that look like it's beyond me that my brothers and sisters can rally around to me and help me through and help me learn and learn together in these things. Moving on to another word, we have the word church in our umbrella topic, the disciplined church. Well, what is the church? According to the New Testament, the word church comes from a Greek word that means called out ones, the called out. And I like the definition that we find in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You don't need to turn here. I'll read it. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out. We don't necessarily have the ecclesia or the Greek word here, but we have both words here that make up that Greek word, and that's called out. I love this definition. Who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were once, who were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What a beautiful description definition of the church. A group of called out ones, ones that individually have responded to God's call to leave the world of darkness and enter into his marvelous light. And then we have the word blessing. And notice that all three of these topics begins with blessing. Well, I don't know about you, but I sometimes really wonder about the blessing of discipline, uh, at least as Hebrews 12 tells us. It's not so fun in the middle of it, but it, when it's all done, or two years, or three years, or at the end of life, we can look back and say, that was a blessing. I wouldn't trade it for anything, even though I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Simply because of the things we learned and the maturity that it brought but the word blessing, according to the Beatitudes, we have the Beatitudes, we're well aware of those. We have blessed are they, blessed, 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 blessed. But that's happy, fulfilled, satisfied. But I also want to note that the Beatitudes are filled with these blessings, but then there's a discipline that follows. I suggest to you that the blessings are only found by responding correctly to those disciplines. The blessing is only found by, by responding correctly to those disciplines. Moving on into the particular topic of the evening, the blessing of a disciplined lifestyle. Well, what's a lifestyle? Do we all understand what that is? A lifestyle is a typical way of life of an individual, group, or culture, according to the Webster's. A typical way of life as an individual, group, or culture. And so, how we do as Mennonites, that's our lifestyle. 
how we do in our homes. You probably have your home like your dad had his homes, and, and it can go down for generations past. And your children will probably have their home like you had your home, and your grandchildren will be like your children's home, and on down in the future, Lord willing. Lifestyle. Lifestyle has to do with the choices that makes us who we are, what we are known for, a reputation. Like I said before, I'd like for this evening's message to be something that we evaluate on an individual level. Let's not be looking across the bench, across the building, and looking at other people's lives. Let's look at our own life this evening. I want us to consider, I've already said this on an individual scale. Tomorrow we'll evaluate some things on the group scale. The clothes that I wear, it has to do with our lifestyle. The houses that I choose to live in has to do with my lifestyle. The cars that I choose to drive has to do with my lifestyle. The music that I listen to has to do with my lifestyle. No, this could go on. If we're honest with these choices that we make, I think we'll have to recognize that there's a lot of peer pressures that are coming into play in the in the choices that we make. And peer pressures that maybe aren't quite so much coming from the outside world, but within our own nucleus group of friends can sometimes influence us in doing what we're doing. Some are good, and some maybe aren't so good. But that's our lifestyle. Choices that make us who we are. Well, how do we dis discipline our lifestyle? Turn with me to Galatians 5. <clears throat> Verses 16 to the end of the chapter. We won't necessarily read all of that. I think we're well aware of what all is here. And he calls us in verse 16 to walk in the Spirit and not to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We need to recognize that there is, an art, there is a war, there is a battle going on around us. And not so much around us, but within me. There's a battle that's going on within me. There are things that I want. There are things that I would like to have. And we need to be careful that our flesh doesn't get in the way in, in helping to decide or determine what those things are that I want. Because Paul tells us here in Galatian that the, the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. And he, and, he, and he talks about some of the works of the flesh. We won't necessarily read all that. 
some of those works of the flesh, some of those external expressions in our actions, in our speech, things like that, get rather close home. But then we have the fruit of the Spirit, down in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That word temperance, in some of the more up-to-date understanding of words, uses the word self-control. According to the Greek word that's used there, it basically has the words self-discipline. So now we're back full circle to this discipline word. Self-control, self-discipline is pretty much explaining each other. Self-discipline. Well, do we understand what self-control or self-discipline is? When's the last time you exercised a little temperance or exercised a little self-control? The ability to tell self no is a mark of a born-again believer. The ability to tell self no is a mark of a born-again believer. That's what's here. And that, and that, we face that, or at least I do. I don't know about you. Maybe you're a more mature Christian than I am. But I face this every day. One of the one of the areas that I fail in, as far as this thing of temperance and being having the ability to tell self no, is when I'm sitting at at the table. There are way too many times that I eat too much, and probably a lot of us could say the same thing. The ability to tell self no. It was this self control concept that almost brought Felix to become a Christian in Acts 24 to 25, where Paul was talking to Felix about things and, and self-control was one of those. And, it, and it, he said some other convenient time. He was pricked in his heart, and he just about became a Christian. Maybe the self-control issue was the bigger issue. I don't know. Second Peter 2, verse or chapter 1, verse 6, tells us that self-control is something that we need to add into our life. Just turning to that to get that correctly. 2 Peter 1, verse 6. Beginning with verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. There we have it. Self-control, self-discipline, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity, or love. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And if you go back to chapter 6, verse 12, it's in the context of fleshly appetites. Fleshly appetites. 
He was he had the ability to say no. Even to some good things. And marriage was one of those. Then in chapter ten, verse twenty three, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Almost verbatim the very same thing in chapter ten. But this is in the context of someone else's conscience. If it's if if what my liberty is going to cause someone else to fall into sin, I'm going to say no. That's self-discipline. Too often, I'm afraid, and even in my own life, I'm guilty of this. Too often, I'm afraid we have the attitude and the idea that, well, that's his problem. Not what Scripture tells us. We need to be sensitive to someone else's conscience, especially if it's going to cause them to fall out in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's that's the kicker. Am I willing to say no to something that is totally fine and okay for me to do it if it's going to cause my brother to fall into sin? It's not worth it, friends. It's not worth it. Am I willing to say no? Am I able to say no to those kinds of things? Self-control has to do with the way we think. More so than what we do. I'd like to illustrate something on the board. Here's my chart. That that has helped me to, to, to grasp this concept. We know that out of the issues of of the heart comes what? All kinds of stuff. We we read there in Galatians five of the works of the flesh. Well where does that come from? It comes from the heart. So out of the issues of the heart comes the comes the action. The the volition, which is action. This is the cognition. I know these are some big words, but the cognition is is our thoughts, our thinking, our reason, our reason. The volition is is action, and out of that action, then we get a emotion. An emotion is basically the the thermometer of what's happening in in the physical realm. You break your leg, what happens to your emotions? You go to a party, what happens to your emotions? You see, our emotions are simply basically a thermometer of what's happening in the in the physical realm of life. And then we come back to thinking about our emotions, whether it's a good emotion or a bad emotion, whether we're going to do it again or do it not again, then we decide that and then see what happens. We keep going around in a circle. What? This this thing here is very, very important. In the center of our hearts, there is a room that has something sitting in it, and I'm going to do 
try to do a blow up here of what's, what's here. We have this room, and in this room, there's a chair, and someone is sitting on that chair, and they have a scepter in their hand, and they have a crown on their head. And he's king of that heart. Are you all with me? He's king of that heart. And my box is big enough. And on the on on at the floor of this king, there is someone paying homage to that king. And this this person that's on the floor paying homage to the king is you. And the the person that's on that throne is one of two persons. It's either self or Jesus Christ. And we and we need to we need to understand this in relation to what happens up here. See, self discipline has to do with what's happening. Self-discipline has to do with who's sitting on the throne. If I'm sitting on the throne, the self-discipline that happened up here won't amount to a whole lot. Jesus said, "Not everyone that comes to, or not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who that doeth the will of my Father." And that is paying homage. And submitting to his will and his authority and allowing him to be king of my life, allowing him to call the shots. And then we can have that peaceable fruit of righteousness that we saw in, in, in up here in, in our emotions, that peace is emotion. So if we want peace, it's all going to have to start down. <laughs> Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6. Let's turn there, being it's a number of verses. <clears throat> 3 to 6, Second Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, our battles aren't fought or aren't won with bullets and bombs and things like that. We, we war not after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down the stronghold. How do we win the battles that come to us in a spiritual sense? Let's keep reading. Casting down imaginations. Now, where, where on this, where on this diagram over here, do do our imaginations take place? Yeah, we have this brain in our head that kind of processes our imagination, but that's that's not where our imaginations are at. Our imaginations are down in our hearts. The Bible says that before. Before the days of Noah, the, the, the imaginations of men's hearts were what? They were evil. And that's what brought judgment upon humanity. They were evil. Casting down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Where's the knowledge of God? Again, we have this gray matter in our head. We can say, well, that's all in the physical. No, it's not. The knowledge of God has to do with what's in our hearts. And bringeth into every captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have the thoughts again, the cognition, what we're thinking about. And if we can't, if we can't control, if we can't say no to, the, to thoughts that aren't right, say no, bring ourselves into self-discipline in our thought life, then there's going to be no way whatsoever in the world that we're going to be completely victorious in this. No way whatsoever. We have to have the ability to tell self no, period. We're not going there. That thought is not right. It's got to go. And there's been times that I, working in my shop, and, and you know how sometimes the mind, the imaginations of the mind just kind of freewheel sometimes, and it goes down rows and alleys that you don't want it to go. And there's been times that I would kind of, I can't think that, I can't think that, and it just, victory is not there. And then you say, God, help me. In, a, in an audible way, I'm the only one there, so it's okay. And it, it's amazing, it's amazing how instantaneous victory can be. We have to have the ability to say no if we expect to be victorious in the physical or the emotional. <clears throat> Moving on to some blessings now in this disciplined lifestyle. <clears throat> don't necessarily need to turn to this, but 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Here we have this abstain, this discipline word, from certain things, not everything is open for fair game, which war against the soul. Here we have this battle concept again. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, here we have the works thing, but where did it start? In the heart, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. But the thing that I want us to consider a little bit is blessings of of a disciplined lifestyle causes us to become strangers and pilgrims. It does. It makes us different than society around us. And sometimes when we go to the store, maybe not so much here, but go into the areas where conservative Anabaptism isn't so much a, a norm, you, you kind of get these stares and looks and what zoo are you coming out of type thing. Are we okay with that? Blessings of being strangers and pilgrims. Turn with, turn back with me to Hebrews, <clears throat> kind of where we started, but the chapter before that, chapter 11, we have this faith chapter, and verse 13 of Hebrews 11 says this, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, Promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims 
on the earth. And so the strangers and pilgrim concept that we're facing today is not a New Testament calling. The men of men the, the men of faith in the Old Testament faced the very same thing. The very same thing. They were considered as strangers and pilgrims. Well, which what happened to these men? Let's go back a little bit. Let's do a quick review. Verse 4, we have Abel. What happened to Abel? He was the first martyr. In fact, he, you know, the word martyr in, in the New Testament, martos is the Greek word in which we get the word witness. In the, in the King James or in our, our Bible, we call it the witness. But the, in the Greek, it was martos. But he was the first martos. And why was he martyred? Because he was righteous. A stranger and pilgrim. Enoch, end of verse 5, says that he pleased God, and we know what happened to him. He floated up into the sky and didn't die. Verse 7, we have Noah. We already talked about in the days of Noah and how evil the imagination of people's hearts were that in that day. But Noah was a righteous man. And we don't necessarily read it here, but in, back in the story of Noah, he found grace. He found grace in the eyes of God. Then we have Abraham. He marched out of his father country, not knowing where he was going to go. God told him to pack his bags and move on, and he did. It took a lot of faith. He probably was ridiculed for it. Sarah, when she was 90 years old, was able to have a child. Well, why? And then we could go on. But in verse 16, why, why were these people following God? And I don't know if you would call it radically or not, but in some ways it was. Why were they following God radically? Radically. Verse 16, but now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he that prepared them a city. God, God was pleased with their lives. And so they, they had something to look forward to. God was blessing them. And really, when we get to the end of life, really what does matter? What really does matter when we close our eyes for the last time? The question I want us to consider a little bit is how many of these saints, and we could, we could keep reading on here, and, and, but we don't have time for that, but how many of these saints did what they wanted to do. Ever think about that? How many of these people in the in the in the Heroes of Faith chapter did what they wanted to do? And we're talking about a disciplined lifestyle. They had an overarching fo- overarching focus that superseded their personal interests. There was something much greater than themselves that they were attain- that they were pursuing. 
about us. Well, we're thinking about blessings. Go to chapter two, chapter twelve, verse two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I don't think Jesus was was really excited about the cross. But that was a discipline that he had to go through. He had to face. He had to carry. Despising the shame, it is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the blessings that we have as, as we look about this thing of the disciplined lifestyle is that we have a hope beyond this life. We have a hope beyond the current problem. We have hope beyond the current affliction, including the virus. That's one of the blessings. Verse 11. We've already looked at this a little bit, but verse 11 is another one. Having the peaceable fruit of righteousness... Or as the, I think it was the contemporary English version had of this, do what is right and live at peace. A little bit like our illustration on the board. If we, if we down in our hearts, we, we make a commitment to do what's right, and then we do what's right, we will have a peace-filled emotion. You read the book, The, the Martyr's Mirror. It's a, how thick it is, yay thick. And thousands and thousands of people's names are in that book. And I I marvel at times how peaceful, how joyful, how welcoming, how willing these people went to their places of execution. I'm like, really? Could I do that? In order to have that kind of peace and a settled consolation in those types of moments, we have to make an earlier commitment. We have to make an earlier commitment in our hearts, and it comes out in our actions. Chapter 13, verse 5, looking at blessing of a disciplined lifestyle. We're committed to Jesus Christ and we're committed to whatever comes, what may. He says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And I think that's where those people in the martyr's mirror found themselves. They found themselves rich in Jesus Christ. They found themselves rich in the love of God. They were looking forward to the time when they could see the face of Jesus in a very real way. A tremendous challenge. Can we live that way on a daily basis that if we would die at a moment's notice, that we would welcome the face of Jesus? That's the blessing of a disciplined lifestyle. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Verses 20 to 21, chapter 13. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Make you perfect. Do we want to be perfect tonight? In every good work, not just most good works, in 
every good work. To do my will? No, to do his will. It's to do the will of the Lord Jesus and self is crucified, self is removed. And it's all about Jesus and doing his will. Well, a few blessing, blessings that I want us to consider here is being complete, being perfect, being fulfilled, and being well and, and having a having God or Jesus as our judge being well pleased with our lives. Well pleased with our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 5, in Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. And this follows, by the way, a number of these um, blessings or the Beatitudes. And if we're we're faithful in dealing with those disciplines and experiencing those blessings, you will be the light that Jesus wants us to be in a lost and dying world. And we'll be following or we'll, we'll, be, we'll be answering the mandate that we found that what the church was in Second Peter and causing others to see the light. No, they're not seeing us. They're seeing the light that Jesus Christ is using you. He's using me to draw those that are still living in darkness to himself. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that really what we're here for, is to draw others into the kingdom of light? Bringing them out of the world of darkness? Because we know that those that die in darkness will suffer in hell eternally without God. And does does that do anything for us? Does that grip our hearts? If we cut loose on everything and live just like them, what example are we? So let's not be ashamed of being strangers and pilgrims. Let's not be ashamed of being looked at as what zoo we came from. Another blessing that we haven't experienced yet, but I hope that we're all looking forward to that, and that's found in Jude one twenty four. In that doxology, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That, my friends, we haven't experienced that yet, but when we get to the great judgment day, and the great judge of all the universe looks at you, looks at me, and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The the disciplines of this life will all but seem very, very dim. Oh, trust me. Haven't been there, but trust me. That's what scripture tells us. The things of this life will grow strangely dim. 
And then Matthew 25, verse 34 is another very, should be a very inspiring words in, in, in light of this, is come, be blessed of the Father. When Jesus, you know, says, well done, the good and faithful servant, and then he turns around and says, come. He wants to draw us closer. He wants us to draw us into that beautiful fellowship with the Father. Well, those are some blessings in the thing of disciplined lifestyle. And hopefully, 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 that we can look beyond some of these disciplines as restrictive, but yet look, but, but see them as a blessing to keep us pure, to keep us faithful, to keep us holy. God says, be ye holy for I'm holy. And so I, I want us to think a little bit about that. Is the, is the life that I'm living, the choices that I make, the, the, the standard that I'm calling for my own life, does that constitute the holiness of God? Can we say on a personal level, follow me and, and be comfortable about it, like Paul did, and say, follow me as I follow Christ? If someone else would live exactly like you, would they would they meet God? Would they see God? Would they find God? And those are some challenges for my own life. That's where I want to be. That if that my life can be one that someone can say, Well, I want to be just like Tom, and that they would find God blessing of a disciplined lifestyle and like I said I want us to look at this as an individual thing because we individually are called out of this world of darkness God doesn't call in quotes the group out of the world of darkness he calls you he calls me out of this world of darkness and we'll look at some more of that tomorrow morning